Hey y'all, welcome back to A Natural State of Murder. I am your host, Jess, and as always, I am very excited to be here with you today. Today, we are going to pick up with part two of Eileen Warnos. As you know, we left off where law enforcement, they had started to piece together that the two women seen crashing Peter Sims' car and later abandoning ship, they had to have been involved in these string of murders. And as they pieced that together, they really pushed that narrative to the public, as well as pushing out the sketches of the two women that were seen crashing that car. And as tips began to pour in, several of those tips revolved around the same two women. I couldn't imagine who those two women would be. So when Lee found out the police were suspecting that it was two women that were luring these men in and killing them, and then the sketches, they started circulating, Lee and Tyria were like, oh man, that looks a hell of a lot like us. And so Lee, she packed Tyria up, packed up her things, and she moved Tyria back to her family in Pennsylvania to stay with them. And Lee really, she wanted to keep her safe and she did not want Tyria in any trouble. Lee and Tyria, however, they had a bad habit of stealing things and then they would sell these stolen items to pawn shops. And as police were investigating these murders, they found items that belonged to Richard Mallory in a local pawn shop. In Florida, you don't only have to fill out information on a receipt that is kept by the pawn shop. You also show your photo ID, but you also leave a thumbprint. So when Lee had sold Richard Mallory's items to this pawn shop, the ID that she left behind belonged to a Cammie Green. Now, Cammie, she was someone that Lee and Tyria had previously lived with. Print did not match Cammie. However, the print also, it did not belong to anyone that they had in their database. And so the police took on this task of going individually through all of these fingerprint cards that they had stored that had not yet been entered into the database, just on the off chance that they could possibly match it to someone that way. And what they thought would end up being completely useless, they found a perfect match on a fingerprint card that belonged to Eileen Warnos, and they found this match like within 15 minutes of, you know, starting to manually go through these fingerprint cards. That print also matched the print that was found in Peter Sims' car. The police were also able to track down other items belonging to Richard Mallory that Lee had pawned or she had sold to other people. So now Tyria is in Pennsylvania. It was unknown at this time like how aware she was of these crimes or how involved she was with the actual murder and robbery of the men. Lee was eventually arrested in a biker bar on a completely unrelated outstanding warrant. 
Lee had sent Tyria to stay with her family because Lee feared that Tyria would end up getting caught up in the investigation and get in trouble herself, and Lee wanted to protect her from that. The police, however, they were able to use that to their advantage. Tyria had a lot of anxiety being like just built up about the possibility of being arrested, the possibility of being charged too, and they used that to make her flip on Lee. In January 1991, over a four-day period and 11 phone calls, Tyria begged Lee to confess so she could clear her name. On day four, while police were listening, and of course, they had listened to all 11 of these phone calls, Lee confessed to all seven murders. Now, Tyria it was evident that they were that there were some murders that she was aware of, but there were some murders that she did not know about. And Lee told Tyria the murders that she did not know about, that she had done those because she had been raped or almost raped by those men. Lee's capital murder trial for Richard Mallory began on January 13, 1992. Lee was tried in Valencia County and was represented by public defender Trisha Jenkins. The DA was state's attorney John Tanner, and Judge Uriel Blount, he was actually retired, and he came out of retirement just to serve as the judge in Lee's trial. Lee, at this time, she was only on trial for the murder of Richard Mallory. The prosecution's case was based on the confession that was recorded on video that Lee had given to investigators. They put holes in the claim that Lee had killed all seven of these men because she was being raped or she was in fear of being raped. They also allowed the Williams Rule, and the Williams Rule is a Florida law that allows evidence from other crimes to be used in a trial to show a pattern, M.O., motive, etc. So, all of the, the, the six other murders, evidence from those murders, were actually allowed in the trial of Richard Mallory. In her earliest confession to police, she said that she was afraid that Richard Mallory was going to steal her money, and she also admitted to shooting him, going through his pockets, and hiding his body under a piece of carpet, and then later taking his car. Tyria would testify that Lee first told her the night that Mallory was murdered, that Lee told her that she had found a body under a rug out in the woods, and then Tyria testified later after that that Lee had admitted to her that she had killed Richard Mallory. In her initial taped confession with police, she never told them that Mallory raped her. They had convinced Lee that Tyria was going to be charged as well if she didn't cooperate, and she allegedly at this moment told her attorney to stay quiet because she had killed and she deserved to die. The defense, however, they argued back on all of these points. They argued that during her interrogation, her rights were violated. She was read her Miranda rights, and she was provided an attorney that had advised her not to make a statement to the police. They argued 
that her rights were actually violated when the police exploited her impaired mental state and her ability to understand by using threats of charging Tyria as well. In her initial statement, Lee tended to try to clear Tyria more than she actually tried to defend herself. There were many requests by Leah's attorney for a mistrial, including the fact that her interrogation video, it was actually leaked to the media, and they argued that that really influenced a potential jury pool. Of course, all requests for mistrial were denied. During interviews later, Lee told law enforcement in very great detail her story of self-defense. She described Mallory tying a cord around her neck after she had taken her clothes off and he had unzipped his pants and he tried to force her to perform a sexual act on him and he told her that he did not have the money to pay her and at that point Lee said that she refused to follow through with the sexual act. She said that she was then vaginally and anally raped and then he untied her, told her to lie back down And this is when she started to fight back. Lee said Mallory told her he was going to kill her just like he did all the other sluts. Lee said that she had a gun in her bag and she was able to get to it and she shot him. She said after she shot him the first time, he didn't stop coming at her. So she shot him two more times. Lee also testified to this at her trial and but she also pled the fifth 25 times when she was being questioned by the prosecution. The defense also raised concerns that Tyria, as well as three other officers that had worked this case, all four of them had talked to people in the media to sell the part of their story that was in Lee's story. And so there was an argument made that this would have caused them to exaggerate their version of events just to sell a better story. Lee, however, she was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed robbery. When the verdict was read, you know, Lee being Lee, she yelled out at the jury, I was raped. I hope you all get raped, scumbags of America. Her penalty phase started on January 28, 1992. Of course, evidence was provided to support the death penalty. Um, Psychologist Dr. Bernard testified that Lee had borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. He also testified that while she did experience impaired capacity and mental impairment, At the time of the crime, it wasn't that serious, but he agreed her mental problems, alcoholism, genetic, and environmental defects were all factors, and I would assume like all factors in her decision-making. Her aunt, Lori Gordy, and her uncle, Barry Warnos, they were also considered her adoptive brother and adoptive sister. They would testify that their father spanked Lee, but he didn't beat her, and it was her own biological father that was the criminal. Now, let me remind you, Lee never knew her father. He was in prison for sexually abusing children before Lee was even born. 
Barry also said that the older Lee got, the more severe punishment became, but he acted like it was something that she deserved. Like, how severe did these punishments become the older that she got? Evidence was also provided to support a sentence of life in prison. They argued that her horrid upbringing, her father's mental disorders, abandonment by her mother, her father's suicide, the physical and sexual abuse by her grandfather, the rape and pregnancy, abandonment by her grandfather at 15, and the torture she experienced growing up all played a role in her mental health issues. She had previously been sexually abused by her grandfather, raped by his friend, and pregnant at 14. She was kicked out of the home after the death of her grandmother, and then she was also forced to uh, to give her baby up for adoption. They attempted to show that due to Lee's IQ only being 81, it was not appropriate for Lee to be executed because she did not understand. Three psychologists testified for the defense. They all agreed with the diagnosis of the state psychologist, but they believed those diagnoses to be extreme and that she even exhibited symptoms of brain damage. They also testified that Lee's inconsistencies when she was being interviewed, they were not lies or simply her changing her story, but they were actually symptoms of her personality disorder. They described her as having a life of someone who was consistently victimized by violence from an early age in life, had no support system, and she reacted when Mallory was going to make her a victim again. Her attorney begged for the jury to allow Lee to live, even if it was behind bars for the rest of her life. On January 31st, 1992, Eileen Warnos was sentenced to death. After the trial, it was revealed that Tyria had already sold her story, as well as some of the detectives on the case, and those detectives, they actually had to resign from their positions. A woman named Arlene Prout legally adopted Lee. Arlene said that Jesus had told her to write to Lee and to take care of her. She ended up selling information from Lee to reporters, and I'm assuming that this is information that Lee had included in her letters and had probably told her at other times in confidence. And then she used that money to hire Lee a lawyer, like a new lawyer, but it was a really, really shitty attorney. In the cases of Dick Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears, after her original attorney, Jenkins, had filed not guilty pleas on Lee's behalf, the new attorney hired by Arlene changed all of those pleas to no contest. Jenkins was very disappointed, and she said that the new attorney never even came to her to get discovery files from her. Like, these were files and, you know, information and evidence that Jenkins had already collected. And that new attorney that was hired, his name was Stephen Glazer. Lee was eventually, she was sentenced to death for a second, third, and fourth time. 
By June 1992, Lee accepted that Arlene was only involved with her for publicity and money, and so she she pled guilty to the murder of Charles Carscotton, and she received her fifth death sentence. In February 1993, she received her sixth death sentence, pleading guilty to the murder of Walter Antonio. During death sentencing, Lee made a statement that Mallory did rape her, but the others did not, and she, but however, she said that she believed that they were going to try. Lee also confessed to the murder of Peter Sims. His body, however, it was never found, and Lee was never charged in his murder. The state of Florida automatically appeals a death sentence to the state Supreme Court. Although, after her trial, it was discovered and proven that Richard Mallory had been convicted of a violent rape 10 years prior. And, you know, during the trial, the prosecutor said that there was zero evidence that would even remotely or possibly support Lee's story. They had that information. They withheld it. And Lee was still denied a retrial. The state Supreme Court upheld all of her convictions and all of her sentences. The Supreme Court of the United States also denied her appeal. From 1994 to 2002, Lee argued that she had ineffective counsel at her first trial. While, you know, the arguments made that the prosecutor withheld that information and that evidence that Richard Mallory had been convicted of violent rape before, her attorney also missed that conviction, and that was information that could have supported Lee's story, or at least proved that Richard Mallory was capable of what she was accusing him of, and her attorney also called absolutely no witnesses. Her behavior over time, it it continued to become more and more erratic. Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida in 2002, and on September 30th, 2002, he granted a stay of execution and ordered Lee to be mentally evaluated to make sure that she was competent to be put to death. Psychologists representing the state, of course, determined that she was. Eileen Warnos was put to death by lethal injection on October 2, 2002. She refused to eat a last meal. However, she opted to have a cup of coffee. Eileen's last words were, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus June 6. Like the movie Big Mothership and All. I'll be back. Lee's body was cremated and her ashes were spread under a tree in Michigan by her childhood friend, Dawn Botkins. Lee's story is sad and tragic from beginning to end. She experienced nothing but abandonment from an early age. She suffered multiple instances of sexual abuse in her life a victim of violence herself several times over and over again. She suffered with severe mental illness and I'm sure horrible PTSD. I can see and understand how a woman like Eileen Warnos 
would eventually explode into the violence that she did. We will never know exactly what happened. All we know is Lee's version of the story and that Richard Mallory, along with six other men, are dead. It does bother me that while Eileen did have a criminal past, you know, things like burglary or assault or, you know, resisting arrest, she did have a criminal history. But up until the point of Richard Mallory, she had never killed anyone. It seems like after Richard Mallory, it starts this chain reaction. I'm not saying that Mallory raped her. I'm not saying that that is a fact. And because he is not here to defend himself. But my opinion is that he did. Because I believe that it's a possibility. And it just seems that something about that event sent Lee over the edge. I am also in no way saying that Lee was innocent because she was not. She was convicted and rightfully so, but with her mental health, mental illness, her diagnoses, and traumas, I think she was railroaded. Lee should have never been released from prison, but instead of death, I do think that she should have at, she should have at the least had the chance to be treated for her mental health, and her story is an example of how much better we need to do making mental health services available. Lee's story and the story of all seven of her victims may have ended very differently if the if she had access to mental health treatment years and years before she committed murder. Now, with all of that being said, these two parts, they are very limited information that could be shared on Eileen Warnos. I felt like I knew a lot about Eileen up until I started doing research for this episode. So with that being said, um, next week we will have our Georgia episode. And then after that episode, I am going to start sprinkling in episodes in between on our favorite serial killers. These episodes are going to be deep, deep dives into our favorite serial killers. Um, They will be several episodes long. They will probably be longer than, you know, our average episodes that we typically do, but I think they're going to be a lot of fun. And when I start that series, the week after next, I am, eventually I will revisit Eileen Warnos. There is so much about Lee that I did not know. Um, But anyways, next week we will be back with our Georgia episode. If you are on Facebook, go and like our page. Also request to join the group Natural State of Murder. And if you are on Instagram, Follow us at Natural State of Murder. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, go and drop a five-star review, please. I will love you, love you forever and thank you for always. But I hope you have a great week and thank you for listening. 
Bye.